Amen and happy Sabbath. Let me take the water of life just a minute. It's amazing that when you know that God wants you to speak something, the things that are thrown in your way so that you cannot speak them, but that God always provides a way. It's amazing to me that as we as Christians observe what God has done in our lives, isn't it amazing? Count back over the years and see the blessings that God has done for you. And wouldn't it be neat to just share those with others? Let's bow our heads as we open God's word today and look at the heart of the matter. Father in heaven, I just want to ask that you will empty me today and then fill me with your spirit because, dear Father, all I have to offer is nothing. But, dear Father, I pray that as we take a journey today that you'll fill all of us and that our hearts will be full in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are certain expectations you have of the word home. Every time I say the word home, I used to think of a place that was near Portland, Oregon. I went back to Portland, Oregon this last week. Home is now where my family is. That place is kind of disgusting. I went downtown to a place that I thought as a child was fun, but it was kind of gross. I don't want to say bad things about my home state and, and home city, but I found some things there that really were worthwhile. I wanted to go there for a good reason, and when we went there, there were things that were taught to us that are very, very instrumental in some of the things that are going to be shared today, but later on with the elders and the shepherdesses. You see, a lot of times when we think about what church is, we forget that we're a family. And we don't only forget we're a family, but we forget that we have a mission. And the mission that we have has to be defined. So today I'd like to get to the heart of the matter and find out what God has for us as a church. And I'd like to start off with 1 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> And I'd like to start with verse 10. Now I plead with you, brothers and sisters, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no division among you, but that you perfectly join together in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those in Chloe's house that are contentious among you. Now I say this to each of you, saying, I am of Paul... We have a few of those here too. And I have a Apollos, or I am of Cephas, which is who? Do you remember who Cephas is? Peter. Or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ would be made of no effect. 
Now, automatically, where did you go in this text? It's a temptation for me too, but where did you automatically go? Pastor's gonna talk about division. That's not what we're gonna do today. We're actually gonna be talking about another part of this text. We're gonna be talking about joined or knit together. How many of you have ever done knitting? Oh yeah, there's a lot of you. I mean, my grandfather used to knit and do other things too. And people are like, really? Yeah, he was six foot two, and you don't mess with him, but he knit. But it's one of those things that when you learn to join two things together, it's really amazing at what you can make when you're knitting. And when you're doing that, it's, uh, it's a little bit um, wild as you try and do all those things at the same time. <clears throat> Why would he plead with the people at that time to kind of say the same thing? How many of you have ever said the same sentence as any of your family member? How many of you have told a story in exact the same way when you were there at the same place? So I looked at this and I analyzed this this week and I'm like, you know what? This story has nothing to do with actually talking the same thing. doing It's not like taking a Walmart and making another Walmart or taking a church that is over here and making that church over here. It's, it's not like cookie cutter religiosity. It's something totally different. If I read this correctly, it's talking about, I want you all to talk about the same thing, but I don't care how you say it. I would like you all to say one thing right now. I would like you to say, just not for me, but just because it's the month, just say, I love you. How many of you said it the same exact way? The inflection was different even for some of you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I heard it all. But we said what? I love you. We said it in so many different ways, the ones that said it. Some of you were like, I love you. I don't want to say it out loud. (laughs) We say it in a different way, and that's how it is with our relationship with God. How many of you, again, have been blessed by God in your life? How would you share that? Just food for thought. I don't want you to share it out loud. Don't worry. You'd be nervous and probably ask the pastor never to touch you again or talk to you and please don't make me stand up front. That's terrible. But I want to talk about this perfectly joined while speaking the same thing and yet doing it in many different ways. I watched a movie. Yes, I did. Pastor watched a movie on an airplane because there was nothing else to do and the people next to me were sleeping. And the other lady was sick, and I'm not sure if that's why I'm sick or not. But I watched a movie that blew my mind. It was a true-to-life story. A true-to-life story called Devotion. Now, some of you are like, I want to watch that. Don't mess it, Pastor. And I'm like, well, I'm going to risk it. But I watched this movie, and I saw this heartwarming movie and heartbreaking movie at the same time about two wingmen. I don't know how many of you have ever watched what a wingman will do, but a wingman is always right there off of your what? Wing. 
And it's a very dangerous place to be because if that wingman gets too close, what happens? In that era, your wing gets chopped and you go down and they go down at the same time. So there is some kind of, it's a dance almost. But these two men had a relationship that blossomed over time. And they had an affinity for one another, protected one another in all kinds of times and places. And one of them was African-American, one of them was white, and it didn't matter. It didn't matter because they loved each other in a way only men can. And it came time for the Korean War, and it was time for them to actually fly some sorties. You see, a family was involved, and as they flew these sorties, you could see the bullets and everything flying, and for guys, that's exciting. I'm sorry, it is. It's like, yeah. And then it became not exciting because there was a shot that went through an oil line or something and the one man went down. The concern of the wingman was so much that he almost sacrificed his life by landing beside him and trying to get him out of the cockpit and realizing he can't, he's stuck. Another man, too, knowing that there was no way he really should fly, came to rescue. They both tried to beat him out of the cockpit. Couldn't. They had to fly away. And to this day, they're still looking for the man or a place where he was buried because they don't know. You see, devotion doesn't just happen overnight. Devotion doesn't just happen at a point where you say, oh, I think I'll just buy into this. We always tout marriage as the ultimate devotion, but you know what? Friendships are just as important. Friendships that are perfectly joined should be that kind of knit-together feeling that we know that only friendships could do. Only one purpose in a friendship like that, and that's to protect one another. You watch the credits and you find out the families are still friends, even if they haven't found the remains, because they are still friends. They stick to one another. They are perfectly joined. You see, a lot of times as Christians, we, we kind of forget that we need to act like that to one another, and if people are going to come here, that we need to treat them like that, that they are wingmen that they are important. Turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 22. <clears throat> Jesus came on a mission to this world, and it was a very difficult mission, a mission that really was something that, as a human, he could have never gone through. As God, it was very difficult for him to go through. But as perfectly God, perfectly man, he did this for you and I. Luke twenty-two forty-two 42 says, Jesus saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. If I left it there, we'd be what? Doomed. Because he says, take this cup away from me. And then he realizes, I have a wingman. I have a wingman and I, I know that. And it's my father. 
And he says, nevertheless, but not my will be done, but yours be done, Father. I think sometimes our will is the thing that really gets in the way of our Christianity because our will is something that we have developed over time and it protects us from other people that may hurt us. But you see, if we knew the mission, like Jesus knew the mission, how many of us, if being grateful for what Jesus had done for us, would share it even if it meant our death? And in reality, it really does mean our death because once we start sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, sharing that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, it requires something of us that is way more than we ever intended as a Christian. And that means that we have to die to our old self. We actually come in relationship with God and as we come in that relationship, little parts of us fall off. Some of you are like, yeah, I understand that. Parts of me are falling off. No, that's not what I mean. Little things that we used to do just kind of fall away because they're not important anymore. Because if you see something in your life that may take someone out that they won't believe in Jesus anymore, you're like, Psh, I'll get rid of that. I don't want anybody to, I don't want to put my blade in their wing. I love them. But we need to focus a little bit more like Jesus did. If we have the idea of starting to do something that is my best thing, we start spreading it around church and say, you know, this is the best thing since sliced bread. And it may be a wonderful idea and it may be something that we all need to do, but it's not the idea. For instance, Henry Ford said this. The weakness of human beings Henry Ford said, is trying to do too many things at once. This scatters the effort and destroys the direction. It makes for haste, and haste makes what? Oh, I was always wondering where that came from. <laughs> so we do things all the wrong ways possible before we come to the right one. Then we think it is the best way because it's the only one that works, and it was the only way left that we could see. Even now, and then, I wake up in the morning, he says, and I head toward the factory with a dozen things that I want to do in my head. I know I can't do them all at once. When asked what he did about that, Ford replies, I go out and trot around the house until I'm running off the excess energy that wants to do too much. My mind clears and I see the thing that can be done and that should be done first. So focus is part of the heart of the matter and the ability to be the one of one mind and joined as a team and an enthusiastic volunteer. Ideas are great and they should always be, always be looked at. But if it becomes the idea and nobody else can just, you know, uh, convince you otherwise, maybe you need to look at it and run off some of that energy. Because as a group, there's a lot of things we're gonna look at in the future here as a church. The next thing, I don't know, how many of you have ever seen Pink Lightning? Everybody seen Pink Lightning? I did, it was right after a really bad storm and it was a lovely thing to see. Uh, probably not for the people that were underneath the cloud, but it was a beautiful thing because it reminded me of the warmth and love that God has for us. On May 2, 1962, long time ago for some, just yesterday for others, 
A dramatic advertisement appeared in the San Francisco Examiner. I don't want my husband to die in the gas chamber for a crime he did not commit. I will therefore offer my services of, for 10 years as a cook, maid, and housekeeper to any leading attorney who will defend him and bring him about his vindication. One of San Francisco's greatest attorneys, Vincent Hallinan, read or heard about this ad and contacted Gladys Kidd, who had placed it. Her husband, Robert Lee Kidd, was about to be tried for the slaying of an elderly antique dealer. Kidd's fingerprints had been found on a blood-stained or ornate sword in the victim's shop. During the trial, Helenon provided the antique dealer, I mean, uh, proved that the antique dealer had not been killed by the sword and that Kidd's fingerprints and blood were on the sword because Kidd once had toyed with it while playing around dueling a friend of his and cut, had cut himself. The jury, after 11 hours, found Kidd not to be guilty. And guess what the attorney did? Refused her services. He did not want the 10 years of servanthood. And I look at that story and I'm like, whoa, what would give you the opportunity to be able to give your life totally over to someone for 10 years just to free somebody that you love? I had to say it was love. It was a compassion in, in most ways that I can't even understand. But then for the attorney to prove that all of this is wrong and be like, no way, I'm not taking your services. Yeah, I heard it. It's like Jesus. The reason being is that some of us have lost that first love we had for Christianity. We've lost that love because Somebody's hurt us. And when Jesus comes in, he goes, you know what? You even offered me 10 years of your service and everything. I, I don't want it. Every time that lady saw that guy, that attorney after then, what do you think happened? She had an affinity and a real care about that guy too. That was taken from the book of lists, number two, page 157. Love for a husband and love for the job and doing a job well. I have two quotes here. Nothing that is valuable is achieved without effort. Fritz Kreisler, the famous violinist, Testified to this point, he said, narrow is the road that leads to the life of violinists. Hour after hour, day after day, week after week, for years I lived with my violin. There were so many things that I wanted to do and so many places that I wanted to see that I had to leave undone and not seen. I wanted to go and I had to miss. The road that traveled was a narrow road and the way was hard. But now, as a violinist, he travels the world and sees all of them. Another, when I was a boy, my father, a baker, introduced me to the wonders of song. The tenor, Luciano Pavarotti, relates that my dad urged me to work very hard to develop my voice. Raggio Pola, a professor in tenors in the hometown of Modena, Italy, 
took me as a pupil, he said. I was enrolled in a teacher's college. On graduating, I asked my father, shall I be a teacher or a singer? He said, Luciano, if you try to sit in two chairs, you will fall between them. For life, you must choose one chair. I chose one. It took seven years of study and frustration before I made my first professional appearance. It took another seven to reach the Metropolitan Opera. And now I think whether it's laying bricks or writing a book, whatever we choose, we should give ourselves to it. Commit, that is the key. Choose one chair. And if I could put in the, that's from the guidepost. If I could put Christianity in one crux, that's the thing that really bothers all of us, is choosing the chair, choosing Christ. Because we see a lot of other attractive chairs. And it's really hard to just sit in one. You see, we no longer look for a different flavor of Adventism that fits our motif. We look for ways to share the message of the church, the good news of the gospel as a group. We had a sign-up of small groups some time back, and some of you thought we forgot about it as the leaders of the church. We've not forgot about it. We are trying to get the mission of the church in place before we put up the structure because if we put up the structure without the thing that we need the most, the mission, it will fall apart. So as we look at the mission of the church, I pray that you will be praying for us over the next two months because we need to make sure that it is exactly what all of us want, that we all as this church want to have one mission and that mission is something that we can all attain and then we'll build the framework of ministry around that. You see, outreach and inreach ministries can only flourish if we have something called a mission because if not, it's just a nice place to be around some good friends. How many of you have ever held a baby and looked at the toes. And I knew this would happen. There we go. I'm going to go backwards a little bit. That's okay. Sometimes this happens. So as a church is rebirthed, and that's basically what's happened after COVID, after we are rebirthing, there's a little impatience that happens. Because some of you are doers. Can I have a witness? <laughs> some of you want to do something right away, and that is admirable. And we can do things. There are things that we can do right now. But there is also planning that needs to happen. And as we plan, it is hard sometimes to refocus what we used to be. And as we, we look at what we used to be, we're like, you know, we're really not that anymore, so we really would like to focus on something else and as we kind of look at that and see what we want to do, it's like being in a toy store. How many of you have ever heard of FAO Schwartz? You realize it's not in the same building anymore. I didn't know that. It's still near, it's near Radio City, still downtown New York City. But it's a lot bigger than it used to be. And the lines are a lot bigger than they used to be. I didn't even get in there, and neither did my family. We looked at the lines, and we're like, nope, not going to do it. But as you look and you see the opportunities and the abilities of all the people in the church, you're like, 
hmm, we could do a lot of different things. But if you have a mission, you can still do a lot of things. It just has to fit the mission. And so as you rebirth a child, you have to look at the child, make sure that the child is well taken care of and everything is going to happen right. And things that are going to be done are very, very um, particular. Sorry. We are all the church. We are all in one accord. Have you ever heard that before? How many of you have, in, as children, pictured a Honda Accord? <laughs> I say it in jest a little bit, but in reality, in college, um, as a seminary student, we did try. I had 32 in my class. <clears throat> we got to about 12 or 13, and it became uncomfortable. 14 to 15, and it became painful. And after that, I don't know, I almost blacked out. But I heard we got 20 in the car. The car was not real well off after that, because when you have that many people in one car, and usually men and a few women, um, the underbelly of the car usually touches the ground. And we, we gave up, and then trying to get everybody out was really painful also. So I looked at that one accord, and that's what's stuck in my head a lot when it says being in one accord. But I want to go back to what it said, joined. It said joined. And when I look at this verse and I understand what it's saying, when I plead with you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the same thing, not saying the same thing like everybody else, but that you have no divisions among yourself, that means that we don't argue about the mission, has nothing to do about how you do it, but that you're perfectly joined together in the same mind in the same judgment. I would say that this church is joined in its mind and its judgment. I would say that yes, we do have things that we disagree on now and then, but I do understand that we all love Jesus Christ and we want the best for one another. I've seen it in your hearts and minds as someone gets sick in the church and all of a sudden there's a knock on the door. You come out of the house, there's no one there because it's the middle of COVID, but there's a hot bowl of soup. There's some bread, and there's a note in it that says, I hope you're feeling better. Or there's something that has happened in your family, and you're like, I don't know how I can continue. This is a horrible thing, and card after card after card after card shows up at your house saying, we care about you. Random acts of kindness, notes of caring, are definitely something that means that you are knit together. And I like to say that as we are getting to the point as a church where we're going to be rebirthing this church, that we be of one accord now and that one accord is praying for the Holy Spirit 
to bless us. Every single one, including the youngest members of this church, the oldest members of this church, if we start today and end one month from today, if we start praying for our church that the Holy Spirit would bless us, I guarantee you that we will have a mission and that we will not only have a mission, but we will have ministries that we will do as a group of people. And I solicit that today because I know that anything that I do and anything the elders do, it will be great. It will be wonderful. The shepherdesses, it will be, it will be awesome. But if we don't have the Holy Spirit and you praying behind the scenes and praying in earnest for what is happening, we won't be able to move forward because it won't be God's plan. So could I ask that question today? Will you pray with us? Thank you. And as I close this sermon today, I would like to have a prayer as a corporate prayer. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we live in uncertain times, but we are certain that you are still God. We know, dear Father, that this church has been through many things over the years and that you've always got us through. And dear Father, what we're just praying for is that the Holy Spirit would lead us and that, dear Father, you would open up the mission that we need to do. Dear Father, that you will open up our minds and our hearts and that we will share with one another the blessings that you have had and the things that we can share with this church. Dear Father, give us the ability. Dear Father, give us the ability to not only sing his praises, but to share them too. So dear Father, as we close, I pray that you'll pour the Holy Spirit upon this church. Because, dear Father, we as the church family are the church. So I pray that you'll do that in the name of Jesus. Amen.